Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Before we start, I want to I wanna pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, your name is holy, and you call us to be holy as you are holy. Lord, your anger is only a moment, but your loving kindness is forever. And you call us to be perfect as you are perfect. Lord, I ask that when we have anger, it would be short-lived, and that like our Father in heaven, our kindness would be enduring. Lord, I thank you for every single person here. I thank you for every single person uh, listening to this and who will listen to this. Lord, I ask that you would bless my words and that anything that is not of you will, will fall away and will not be heard. Lord, I ask that you would open up everyone's hearts and minds, including my own. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Today, I wanted to talk about a portion in Matthew 5 that seems very cookie cutter, and we hear preached on very surface level, but we don't tend to do any real dive into. And it's a part in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. Yeshua, in his detailed going into Torah, his exposition on it, he is discussing different halakha and different mitzvot and how we apply them. In beginning of verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Maybe you will know one day, but when he said, even the tax collectors do not do the same, I can only wonder if he turned and looked at Matthew. This begs a question that the rabbis discuss, and Yeshua answers later, who is your neighbor? And what does it even mean to love him? When we think about in our modern convention of loving people, that means we have positive thoughts and positive energy, that we feel butterflies when we see this person, that we gush like a puppy. And that's not love. Anyone who's been married for very long knows that's not actual enduring love. That's like. It's not love. And who is our neighbor? Like a lot of you in today's day and age, I don't actually know the people who live next door. So how do we love someone who we're often isolated and alienated from? In this portion, Yeshua is doing several things. And one of which 
very early, earlier in chapter 5, he says he is going to fulfill the Torah, meaning teach on the Torah. And here he is teaching on a perversion in that day of the Torah that was being spread around. How we extrapolate and analyze different portions of scripture and the things we draw from it is very important. And we can't just take one verse and isolate it and, and build an entire doctrine around it. For example, people will say, well, all of these verses here refer to Yeshua's humanness. That he was a man, and these verses seem to imply he was only a man. We're not ready for that yet. So, that one verse saying he's a man, and we'll line up all these verses and say he was just a guy. And then we have our other set of verses referring to his divinity and his deity. And we'll say, no, he was only God. But the reality is you can't just pick and choose the verses you like that support your pet hobby horse. You have to combine all of them to tell a complete biblical picture. And when we find a scripture that doesn't line up, instead of just going with confirmation bias and ignoring it, we have to realize how to put it into the entire picture. Because all of scripture is God-breathed and meant for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Yeshua was fully divine. He was fully God and fully man. But that is not what we're talking about today. We're talking about perversions that were going around where people in his day were isolating one portion of scripture. For example, when he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in scripture is it said to hate your enemy. A popular teaching in the day, although not necessarily the majority, was found in the Essenes, where they taught this, the people living in the Qumran community. And the Essene oath was to love all the sons of light, each according to his lot in the counsel of God, and to hate the sons of darkness, each according to his guilt in the vengeance of God. In fact, the Essenes swore twice daily at mealtimes an oath which included to hate forever the unjust and to fight together with the just. There are a number of passages throughout the entire Tanakh detailing how we are to abhor God's enemies. This is generally in a nationalistic sense, not in a sense of person. Not you will hate that person individually. It is these people do these bad things. Do not be like them. Nowhere in the Tanakh does God tell us to go hate individuals. And we have the same problems today. That's not only a commentary on his time. We have the same issues today. There is no biblical command to hate your enemy, nor is there a consistent rabbinical teaching either to do so. The Essenes and Qumran lived an ascetic life near the Dead Sea. Their teaching, while it was very sensational and provocative, was not the dominant thought then, nor is it today, although we have the same problems today. People will say, ah, if you stand for God's ways, then I will love you. If you oppose, then I will hate you. I remember the saying, vengeance is the Lord's, and I'm all about the Lord's business. And we want to feel that righteous indignation and we want to take up God's charge and we want to punish those who oppose. We say God, but really it's us. The way they arrived at this 
is they would say, well, it says we are to love our neighbor. And that is a command in Torah. Therefore, if someone's not my neighbor, does that mean I can hate him? We don't do that with other mitzvot. Say the commandment to honor your father and mother. There is not an implied dishonor those who are not your father and mother. We don't do this with other mitzvot, yet somehow, and frankly, if we're being real, because it feels good, because we want to have those people over there. We want to split people off to the group of people I can hate and the group of people who I can like, because humanity is very tribal. We have been since Babel, and it is very difficult to work against it, and you can only do it by the power of God. So what does the Torah say here? In Shemot, Exodus 23, verse five, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall not leave it helpless for its owner. You must arrange the load with him. And then continuing in Leviticus 19, the stranger who resides with you, so the non-Israelite, the non-Jew, shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Stranger, the ger who lives in your midst, you are to love him. God is saying whether someone was born next door or on the other side of the world, you are commanded to love them, whether they're Jewish or not, whether they are in your same political party or not, whether you like their Twitter posts or not, you are commanded to love them. Yeshua tells us we must love even the non-Jew, the non-believer, even if they hate you, even if they are your enemy. In Leviticus 19, God is also saying, overcome your struggle. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. Do not abuse others as you were abused. The rabbis echo this and they extrapolate more in Bava Metziah. It's written, if the animal of a friend requires unloading and an enemy's loading, you should first help your enemy in order to suppress the evil inclination. Not only should we go out of our way to love our enemy, we are supposed to do it in a way to remove any thought that we're showing deference. And this is difficult. A very hard-hitting quote from Charles Spurgeon. Ours it is to persist in loving. Even if men persist in enmity, we are to render blessing for cursing, prayers for persecutions. Even in the cases of cruel enemies, we are to do good to them and pray for them. We are no longer enemies to any, but friends to all. We do not merely cease to hate and then abide in a cold neutrality, but we love where hatred seemed inevitable. We bless where our old nature bids us curse, and we are active in doing good to those who deserve to receive evil from us. I love in that, that Spurgeon comments, they deserve to receive evil but we are not here to give people what they deserve. 
Yeshua commenting on this is challenging everyone around because he was not speaking to 21st century Americans. He was speaking to first century Jews living under Roman rule who did not have freedom, who could be arrested, who could be taken out and beaten by a group of Romans without cause. They didn't have a first amendment, let alone a second through 10. They didn't have much legal recourse. They were a very much oppressed people. And when you are oppressed by someone, it is very easy to slip into a, I hate this person and I'm gonna do everything I can to get them back. So when Yeshua says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yeshua was not teaching against Torah. You shall love your neighbor is in Torah and hate your enemy is a wicked, cancerous growth that was attempted to attach to the Torah. Love, for the record, does not enable sin or pride. When it says to love your enemy, it doesn't mean if they want to beat you, you help them. It doesn't mean that we enable someone to sin. It means we love them. Love does not needlessly expose those we love to abusers or to mistreatment either. Sometimes loving an enemy means keeping a distance. So what does love do? Rav Shul writes, love is patient. Love is kind. It responds with kindness. And love chooses what is best for the other person, even if that person is your enemy. And what is best for the other person is really key because we have to ask ourselves, what is best for that person who is opposing us? And what we consider enemies today is often just people who aren't giving us what we want in that moment. If they failed to meet expectations. A wise man once said, frustration is unmet expectation. And if you want to be disappointed, start setting really high expectations and see how long you last. Love is patient. Warren Buffett, who is an entrepreneur and investor, a very famous person, he early in his career admitted that he burned a lot of bridges because he lacked the emotional intelligence to be patient. And that's a tall thing for him to admit because he is a wildly successful, wealthy man. But he later in his career said, I finally learned, if you wanna tell someone where to go because you're angry, realize you can always wait until tomorrow to do that. And usually by tomorrow, you've calmed down a bit, and so what you tell them is actually helpful and not just anger. Yeshua correcting them when he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, is a direct rebuke towards the Essene community in their attempt to add that on to the Torah. Loving your neighbor does not include hating your enemy. You love your neighbor and you love your enemy as well. A second thing he's teaching against is blatant sectarianism, the us versus them mentality. And we have it in America, we have it everywhere in the world because people have been doing that ever since Babel. We have an us versus them. Whether you wanna break it up by political class, whether you wanna break it up by race, 
or by gender or anything else. However, we can break people off into groups and then say, this group hates you, so we have to agree to hate them back. You're either with us or against us. If you don't see that, then apparently you haven't been on the internet. We want to define ourselves so often by ideology and not just something that is a national identity or ethnic. In Yeshua's time, it was, are you Jewish or not? Are you lining up with us or with the Romans? Are you with the Hellenists? Are you with the Essenes? Are you a Zealot? What are you? Yeshua says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? And it was fascinating as I was thinking about that greeting your brother, loving your brother, forgiving your brother. It wasn't too long ago in our Torah portions, we went through the story of Joseph. And Yeshua is saying here about greeting and loving brothers, Joseph, a righteous man, someone who in many ways was a symbol of Messiah, that the rabbis said there would be Mashiach ben Yosef, Messiah, the son of Joseph, the suffering servant, and Mashiach ben David, the conquering king. Joseph was a righteous man. And the story of Joseph forgiving his brothers is amazing because as you're going through Bereshit, going through Genesis, you realize that God is showing us examples of forgiveness, examples of reconciliation, examples of redemption. In Genesis chapter 50, now Joseph's brothers saw their father had died and they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and return to us all the evil that we did to him. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in God's place? And Joseph's forgiveness seems extraordinary. The kind of grudges that we tend to bear are nothing compared to what he went through at all. I have never been sold into slavery. Not once, partially because that's illegal in this country, but it's not illegal everywhere. Most of us have never been through any kind of real persecution, any kind of real hatred as he experienced from his own family. And yet he forgave it. And what Yeshua is saying here, your forgiveness has to outdo Joseph's. You have to forgive bigger than that. Joseph did that for his brothers. You have to forgive more and for people who might not be your blood brothers. God is calling us to forgive on a much higher level. And I do not say this from a position of strength. I say it from weakness. I say it as someone who struggles tremendously with every word I'm saying here. The rabbis say, be ever flexible as a reed, kindly toward all, never as inflexible as a cedar, unforgiving towards such as have harmed thee. God wants us to be loving and kind and forgiving. He doesn't want us to split off into different factions that hate each other. And we will always find something new to hate each other. As a child, I watched a congregation split over how to tie tzitzit. If you wanna think of something really petty, oh, you can find them. And there's 50 ways to tie tzitzit. 
there are innumerable ways we can decide we don't like each other, we can find disagreements. And I'm telling all of you, they're not worth it. The Essenes had to ignore a lot of different scripture to arrive at the love your neighbor and hate your enemy. For example, in Mishlei in Proverbs, for a righteous person falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of disaster. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart rejoice when he stumbles. Notice both the righteous and the wicked fall here. It doesn't say the righteous is gonna run a marathon with a hundred pound rucksack, but the enemy is gonna stumble when he picks up a five pound dumbbell. Both the righteous and the wicked fall. The question is, how do you respond to the failure? Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Our depraved hearts want to rejoice because when our enemy stumbles, in the back of our minds, we're thinking, you are finally getting what you deserve. I remember when certain people were, were getting sick last year and there were people rejoicing that that person was sick because they were opposing XYZ legislation or any number of things that were going around that they thought they should be doing. So, aha, you deserve to be sick. And I remember thinking, what kind of a person sits around and high fives themselves that someone else became ill? And then I realized, in my own ways, I do that too. It's just a matter of degree. We've already established what we are. Now we're just honing in on it. It takes the heart of God to not rejoice when your enemy stumbles. There's a story the rabbis tell about when the Israelites were singing and dancing on the other side of the Red Sea after the Egyptians had been drowned and the angels wanted to join in on the Israelites celebrating and God says, no, don't. My children are drowning. Do not rejoice. I don't want any of them to die. God does not want your enemy to stumble. He wants your enemy to love him. And verses like this are inconvenient for the zealot or the Essene. Love the Romans? No. Kill them. Love the people in that other political party? No. Destroy them. And that's our culture. Wait for someone to make a mistake and run them with it. Mishlei, Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. So why do we do good to an enemy? Now for the record, we're not talking about Al-Qaeda here, specifically, in that soldiers going out in the field should be meeting Al-Qaeda with their MRE packs, hoping they won't shoot them. That's ridiculous. We're not talking about someone who is actively trying to seek to physically harm you. If someone breaks into my house, they will not be met with a steak dinner. Unless we happen to be eating a steak dinner, but that's beside the point. The entire idea that we are supposed to be uh, completely nonviolent and let other people walk all over us is not biblical and that is not what any of this says. It says, if your enemy is hungry, someone who has set themselves against you is in need, do not withhold your help. 
Yeshua continues in Matthew 5, 45, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yeshua is saying here, our calling is to emulate God. He does not meter out rain based on individual righteousness. We don't each have little clouds following us around and you get more rain depending on how good or bad you are. Take a look around the world and you realize the sun rises and sets the same for everyone. And even the wicked at times do quite well. That is in God's hands. There is a general goodness that God has for all of humanity. And it's in grace after meals, who is good to all and gives food to all of his creatures. From the Psalms. He shows to all creation a general goodness. And he calls on us to do the same. Even if we don't like them. Even if they hate you. A third thing Yeshua is talking about in Matthew 5 here is it establishes that reconciliation and kindness are godly goals and that we are to actively pursue them. Rav Shul writes that we have a ministry of reconciliation. That in Messiah Yeshua, we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. All of us. That's not just a special gift anointing. Some people are anointed for different ministries. We are all called to that. These, these enemies that Yeshua is talking about, consider that maybe God gave you the problems you have for a reason. I remember hearing about, there was a woman being interviewed, I won't say her name, and she had an atrocious upbringing, abusive parents, drug use in the household, sexual assault, all kinds of horrible things. And when she's being interviewed, the guy asked her, why do you think these things happened? And as she was talking it out, he looked at her and said, do you think they happened because God knew you were strong enough to come through it on the other end and still rejoice in God? And she said, yes. God might give you these problems for a reason because you are the one who needs to handle those things. In Proverbs 16, when a person's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he causes even his enemies to make peace with him. The difficult people in your life are there for a reason. Maybe they need you and they don't know it yet. God knows. Maybe you need them and you don't know it yet. God's kindness to all is something we should all do. He says, therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. All of this that we're called to do is part of emulating God. The sages say, the best plan of those you can plot, excuse me, the best plan of those you can plot against your enemy is to turn him to your love, to make a friend of him, if you can. You wanna really get revenge against someone? Make them a friend. And that is the hardest thing to do with someone who has set themselves against you. C.S. Lewis says, our prayers for others flow more easily than those for ourselves. This shows that we are made to live by charity. We are made and formed and crafted in God's image. So what are your prayers like? 
do you sit around praying for yourself? And how do you pray for your enemies? Bless those who curse you. How? And it seems like a counterintuitive thing. Someone wants to harm me. How do, how do I bless them? I hope you do really well with work and get that promotion. The first thing our society goes to is a material blessing. And all of those things are secondary. Enemies are not throwaway people. God loves them as much as he loves you, as much as he loves me. So what is a step towards being perfect as our father in heaven is perfect? How do we bless those who curse us? How do we pray for our enemies and how do we bless them? And this is something I struggled with for years. And a few months ago, I was, I'd say I was praying, but it was more like just uh, stewing over an issue. And I felt God say within me, Rusty, I want you to bless them. I thought, how? The ironic benediction? How do I bless them? And he said, no, pray Psalm 23 over them. I did not want to hear that. So an idea that was just my mind randomly at play, I actively did not want to hear that. And so I did a mental eye roll and I said, okay. And like many of you, Psalm 23, I memorized as a child, so easy. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I thought, what do I do with that? And God said, pray it over him. And we're just gonna make up a name here and if this is your name here, I apologize. We'll just say the person's name is Clark. So what I did is I thought, okay, Clark, the Lord is Clark's shepherd. He will not want. He makes Clark to lie down in green pastures. He leads Clark besides the still waters. He restores his soul. He leads Clark in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though Clark walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he will fear no evil, for you are with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort him. You prepare a table before Clark in the presence of his enemies. You anoint his head with oil. Clark's cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow Clark all the days of his life, and he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I realized if all of that were true, would I have any reason to have any problem at all with this person? If your enemies turn to God in repentance, 
would that fix your problem? So what is it you really want? We can apply this to politics. We can apply it on a national level. I remember joining the military and a guy who was going off to do special forces was asked, so what, you just want to kill people? And he said, no, I want them to all throw down their guns, but they're intent on killing us, so I have to fight for my country. If you pray this over people you are in conflict with, over your enemies, and pray it prophetically. And I'll tell you, that was not an easy day. I spent about an hour running through names. And that is not an easy thing to admit. Because, but once I started doing it, and I encourage everyone to do that, anyone you have a problem with or a conflict, remember, God loves them as much as you, and you are not here to get what you think you deserve. You are not here to give them what you think they deserve. It is our jobs to draw each other to God. Sometimes part of love is some strong encouragement. Sometimes it's a rebuke. It is never exalting yourself. It is never acting out in your pride. Rarely does it involve anger. What you need is discernment. And we need to have the same love that God has. Pray with me for a moment. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you see all and you roam the earth looking for those doing your will. Lord, you know our struggles. You know the problems that we have. And you know you know our issues before we even have them, before we realize they're issues in some cases. Lord, anyone here dealing with strife, anyone here dealing with an enemy, anyone here dealing with someone who it is ever so tempting to hate, anyone here who feels like they are drowning in this, Lord, I ask that you would spread your love over that person, over those people. Lord, I ask that you would speak life, that you would take out the heart of stone they have and give them that heart of flesh, the heart that is responsive to your spirit and to your word. And everyone here, whoever it is you're having strife with, whoever it is you have a conflict with, Whoever in your mind, when you go to a place of frustration, that person who comes up is the person you just can't stand. Ask yourself, if that person were truly following God, would I have the conflict? Is that person following God? I want everyone to see that person in your mind. And I want you to bring that prayer before God. Lord, whoever here is dealing with that kind of a strife, I ask that whoever has set themselves up as the enemy, that the Lord would be their shepherd, that you would be their guide, that you would walk them through life, that you would guide them through life, that you would direct that person's paths, that their desires 
would be fixated on you. That you would make them to lie down in green pastures and you would lead them beside still waters. That you would be that person's provider. That you would restore their soul. That they would not seek to have their soul restored in the things of the world through any kind of abuse, through any kind of neglect, through any kind of pride. That you, Lord, lover of our souls, would restore that person's soul. That you would lead that person in paths of righteousness, not for our name's sake, Lord, not for our comfort's sake, but for your sake. Lord, I ask that they would walk through the valley of the shadow of death and they would not fear evil because you would be with them and that your rod and your staff, they would be comforting because Lord, if a rod and a staff, if yours are comforting to us, that means we are walking in your will. Lord, I ask that you would prepare a table before these people in the presence of their enemies, that you would be their guide, that you would be their God, that you would be their Lord. They would answer to you, that you would anoint their heads with oil, that you would bless their minds and give them sanity, that they would not respond with knee-jerk reactions or with anger or with pride or with malice, but they would have every gift and fruit of your spirit, love and joy and peace. They'd be long-suffering. Lord, I ask that goodness and mercy would follow these people all the days of their life and that they would dwell in your house forever because, Lord, forever is a long time to be around an enemy. Lord, the people that we are in strife with, whether it's in this community or in the world, I ask that you would give us the anointing that we need to be your ministers of reconciliation. Because the days are quite evil and you put us here for a reason, Father, in this generation to do the specific work. Lord, I ask that you would give us every tool we need in godliness and righteousness in Messiah Yeshua, that we would be able to walk out your love and your joy and your peace and your kindness, that we'd be able to turn enemies into friends. Not because of smooth talking, but because of hearts that genuinely and passionately desire to serve you, our master and our maker, the one in whose image we are made. Would the music team please come up? Lord, this is not an easy task. And as we go through the words of the Master Yeshua, your son, our righteousness, the one who reconciles us to you, and he taught us to love in a way that is real, not on a false love that seeks to puff other people up, not on a love of flighty emotions, but in a kindness that is palpable. Lord, I ask that your love would permeate us and that we would be able to speak truth, whether it is a rebuke or whether it is an encouragement, whether it is words to guide someone or drive them to do better, or whether it is just completely a blessing. Whatever it is, Lord, whether you give us an easy situation or a very difficult one, 
I ask that you would show us how to navigate it in the way you want us to. And Lord, when we are tempted to hate an enemy, I ask that you would give us the words of blessing that where our enemies rise up against us, we would pray over them that you would be their shepherds, that you would guide them all of their days. Lord, I thank you for all the wonderful things you give us. I thank you for the blessings that are in your word that you give to us and you call us to write into our minds, hearts, and souls that we can speak them into this world. Amen. Shabbat shalom.